2: taking all these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored
0: welcome everyone to episode number 259 of literary treks i am bruce gibson thank you for joining us this is the official star trek books and comics podcast of the trek fm network and with me across the canadian border from me is dan gunther how cold is it there,
1: Dan Gunther? It's so cold. No, it's it's quite cold, actually. <laughs> Where I live, uh, at, as I'm recording this earlier this week, we were apparently, according to some people, the coldest place in the world on Monday of this week. So that's uh, it gives you an idea of how cold it is here. Yeah, usually Russia and Antarctica beat us out, but not that day. <laughs> Ooh, wow! You
0: guys are like the premier destination now for the world to visit the coldest place on Earth.
1: Yeah, there's such a huge demand for that, that, uh, yeah. (laughs) So does Superman have his Fortress of Solitude there? Um, I'm not actually allowed to divulge that, but uh, let's just say, you know, um, that might not be an exaggeration. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will have to say that uh, today in Atlanta,
0: we had I don't know if it was a record high for this day of the year but we hit uh 80 degrees Fahrenheit. So Ugh. I actually turned the air conditioning on for the first time oh. in months. <laughs> but it's not going to last long. It'll, it'll get cold again, but not nearly as cold as it gets there.
1: Oh man, I yeah, Oof. I don't even I I don't even want to talk to you now, which makes doing this podcast very difficult. That's fine. Just sit back. I'll do all the talking. <laughs> hey everyone. On today's feature, we're going
0: to do the TNG novel Triangle Imzadi 2 by Peter David. Now, recently we had done Imzadi, that novel with Amy Nelson and uh maybe just maybe she'll join us again. But before we do that, let's go ahead and get to some Business here. We have a new comic that came out recently, and it's a number one issue. It's Star Trek: The Q Conflict, and we're going to review that for you right now. And I think this is a four-issue miniseries.
1: Does that sound right? I don't know. I think that's right. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but I, I that. That is possibly right. <laughs> no, actually,
0: uh, no, I just looked it up. So it's six issues. It's a six issue mini series, the Q conflict. So we have issue number one here. And uh, this starts off with the TNG crew. Hey, guess what? And Q's going to be
1: in this one. Imagine that what? The Q conflict has Q in it. Whoa, spoiler. We haven't gotten there yet. I, I didn't. I didn't realize that.
0: (laughs) I know it's not till later in this issue that you find cues there, but that's okay. We have the TNG crew on the enterprise E and there seems to be all these supernovas going on. Uh, There's at least eight that have occurred, which is very unusual. So our crew is already suspicious that this cannot be probably something that's a natural occurrence because it seems really odd. As a matter of fact, we see one star go supernova and it goes actually fairly quickly, faster than most supernovas occur.
1: So there's some suspicion from Data and Picard and Riker about that. And of course, those of us who have watched Star Trek Voyager uh, know that when the Q were having their civil war, this was kind of doing the same thing. There were all these supernovas happening. Uh, around Voyager in the episode, the Q and the gray. So, you know, at this point, obviously because of the title, like you pointed out uh, the Q conflict, we know Q's involved, but you know, I was like, Oh, there's some kind of big war going on or something like that. I wonder if it's another Q civil war.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly what we find out's happening because when the enterprise goes to visit a colony to rescue everyone and, uh, transport them off the colony before the plants destroyed by the supernova. All of a sudden the clot, the sky clears up and we find out that the star isn't going supernova. And it's just like, what happened? And that's when we find out up oh, Q's involved and Picard's on the bridge. Q show yourself. What are you Q show up? Blah, 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 blah. But of course Q does show up And uh, as you said, reveals to Picard that there is a civil war going on between these different entities. And Picard's basically like, well, haven't you learned anything from studying humanity that you can work out your differences in different ways than just in a war? So what do you think about Q's Q's solution
1: to what Picard has challenged him on? I thought this was fun. I mean, obviously, it's just a way to get... Uh, you know, these crews together, <laughs> which, uh, you know, I think is kind of cool. Um, I, I really like the fact that it's all these omnipotent beings that are kind of warring against each other. And they're all omnipotent beings that we've seen before, which is kind of neat as well. So yeah, I, I, I'm on, I'm on board. I think this is just going to be a lot of fun. I really like that. So should we tell everybody who these beings are or leave that as just kind of a Something to discover on their own. Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah. Just think of all the omnipotent type beings we've seen over the years. Or the non-corporeal, very powerful beings. And it's pretty much all of them. (laughs) Yeah. Especially from TOS. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone is from TOS except for Q, which is kind of cool. So, yeah. And Q
0: pairs up the different captains. So we have uh, with each being. And so it's, you know, Picard and we have the crew of Voyager there from Janeway. We have Cisco with DS nine and we have Kirk with the enterprise crew. So I read somewhere online. I don't remember who mentioned it, but they said this felt very much like fanfic to them. And I can kind of see that.
1: Yeah, there definitely is that aspect. It's just uh I don't know, with some of these comic series, I feel like you just kind of have to put your uh, expectations of what Star Trek should be and how seriously it should take itself. Just kind of put those to one side and go along for the ride, Uh, in this case especially. I mean, for crying out loud, we're reading Star Trek versus Transformers as well, right? I mean... If you want to talk fanfic, I think that's pretty <laughs> up there as well.
0: Yeah. But you know, if you are going to bring these four crews together all from different time periods, and I know that, yeah, Voyager, DS9, and the TNG all can happen in the same time period, but Q does pull them from a few years apart. And if you're going to bring all these crews together, it makes sense to have Q do that for some reason. So, There's not a whole lot to say because this is the first issue. It's just kind of setting things up. So I think as we go through each issue here on Literary Tracks, it'll be interesting to see
1: what our thoughts are on these and how the story plays out. A couple little things that bugged me a little bit, I guess. Worf is wearing yellow. He never wore yellow when he wore that uniform. He should be wearing red. And i can't quite figure out exactly where the time period the TNG crew is from because Worf was never a regular part of the crew until I guess nemesis. He stopped being an ambassador and joined the enterprise. So I'm thinking this must be between insurrection and nemesis. Worf joined the crew somewhere in there because Data's still alive. So it's not after nemesis. Mm, yeah, uh, that's a good point. I didn't even pick up on
0: Worf we- wearing the gold. So mm-hmm.
1: yeah, yeah, That's it's
0: probably is in that time period that you're saying between insurrection and nemesis. So,
1: yeah. And the one thing that I like that I wasn't expecting is based on Q's final line. He says, let us be, let us begin to choose the rest of our teams who would like to pick first. I kind of thought it would just be like this crew versus that crew versus that crew versus that crew. But it sounds like they might be doing like a, you know, choosing teams at, you know, for, volleyball for gym class or something where each of these guys might be picking, you know, a different person for their team. So these teams might be a mishmash of the crews, which that could be kind of cool to see how they all work together. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it, I would like to see them
0: mismatched. And so we can see how the different crews do work together. It would be funny, uh, you know, cause the DS nine crew, from the time period they're pulled from is before Worf joining them. But Worf mm-hmm. would know in this time period that he used to serve with them. So it would be funny to see the recognition that Worf has of them and they don't have of him. If that works. Into oh, the that's story a good somewhere. call. I hadn't thought of that. And it kind of bothered me in some ways that Janeway had to introduce herself to Picard or no, she, yeah, she introduces herself to the crew's and Picard introduces her to Captain Sisko and himself. And I was like, well, you know, Janeway's been to DS9. We saw that in Caretaker. I would think she would know who the commander of the station was at that time. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, um, no, I mean, it's, it's a fun read and the art at times I thought it was really good and at times, especially when people are more in the foreground, wasn't as clear. Sometimes I was like, wait, is that
1: is is that Riker or is that someone else, you know? Yeah, there are a few there are a few um shots of Janeway in particular I thought were like is that supposed to be Janeway? <laughs> and you know, there there's there's a few misses for sure, I think.
0: All right, well, we'll see what we think of issue number two when that comes out next month. So, in the meantime, let's go ahead and look to see some listener feedback that we had on Facebook about our episode of Lots of Bits of Me. It's number 257. And this is the episode where we had Una McCormick on to talk about her Star Trek discovery novel, The Way to the Stars. So, uh,. What's the first comment here we have from Joshua DeVry says, just finished reading this one. So I look forward to hearing this episode. Well, Joshua, I hope you did listen to the episode.
1: (laughs) Definitely. Uh, The next comment comes from Justin Ozer. Uh, He says, great interview about an amazing novel. Tilly would be happy as I was feeling a lot of feelings reading the book. I always love hearing insights from the authors about how they wrote the novel, and this was a great companion to the book. I'd love to see a sequel with Tilly at Starfleet Academy, and I'm always eager for Una McCormick Trek novels. I hope more are to come. Definitely agreed with that. I would love to see more of young Tilly, kind of how she fares at the Academy and that sort of thing, and definitely more Una McCormick. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I had thought about that after reading the book. I was like, oh, well, this just takes us up to prior to Starfleet Academy. So I thought, yeah, there definitely could be a sequel involved with her at the Academy. So yeah, hopefully we'll get something like that. And Patrick Carlin says, I had my TV on mute during the Kitten Bowl while listening. Right when y'all mentioned number one, a commercial with Rebecca Romaine came on. Wow, what a coincidence there. First of all, (laughs) I'm just impressed that you're watching the Kitten Bowl while listening to literary treks. That sounds awesome to me.
1: Definitely. I mean... Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good Sunday I think for sure. But yeah, really neat coincidence there. That's kind of cool. Uh Maribel Myers says good interview. This is the first book by Una McCormick that I've read. I've pre-ordered The Undefeated and I'm looking forward to it. I need to look for more of her novels. Maribel, yes, you do. Una McCormick has written some amazing novels, Uh, especially if you're a fan of Deep Space Nine. I think you would love a lot of what Una McCormick has written in the Star Trek universe. And outside the Star Trek universe, she has a ton of books as well. So good on you for uh, pre-ordering that one. And yeah, keep an eye out. She has some great stuff out there. And then we have a comment here from Marcus Cleaver says, help needed
0: literary trekkers. Will would be possible to get star Trek discovery? The enterprise war on Kindle seems only to be able to pre-order the paperback so far. Justin mentions here that the Kindle version is available for pre-order in the U S on Amazon. And so it probably should be coming to the UK site soon. Um, so maybe even by the time you're hearing this, it is on there since you're in the UK, if I, if it's going to be available in the US, I would think it's going to be available on Kindle everywhere else.
1: Absolutely. It's uh, very common uh, when these first get announced. For some reason, the pre orders, especially with the UK Amazon store, seem to trail a little bit behind everything else. Uh, um just because I I know this because I set up the Amazon links for my website, uh Treklit.com. So sometimes those links are blank for a little while while I'm still waiting for the Amazon store to update. So have no fear. I guarantee, I can all but guarantee that it will be available on Kindle in the UK. Oh, there you go. You have a
0: guarantee from Dan Gunther. So you know what's going to happen. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Well, in addition to the Babel conference, and first of all, thank you for those who posted their comments on there. We really enjoy reading them here on the show. We also received an email from Jerome Charles and Jerome says, guys, still listening to the show with Una McCormick. I wasn't even halfway through when I had to get the audiobook. Great. Absolutely great interview. Terrific in-depth questions. I'm only in the first chapters of the audio book, and I'm truly impressed with this lady. Please keep bringing us great shows like these. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jerome, for that comment. We uh, appreciate the fact that you enjoy the show, and you gave us some great compliments there. And of course, you gave a great col- compliment to Una. By hearing her talk about the book and halfway through the interview, it convinced you to go ahead and buy it. And so just so you know, I let Una know about your email and she was very happy to receive your praise. And she loves the fact that it led you to reading the book.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, praise is always good. And thank you so much for your great comments on the show. I, I, we really appreciate that. We try and you know, bring you some interesting episodes and stuff. So really glad you enjoyed that. And uh yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying the way to the stars, because I think it's a truly great book. So uh Una knocked it out of the park with this one. She absolutely did. And so if you want to
0: hear more about some great books, well, stick around now for the feature because uh we've got a pretty interesting book that follows up to Umzadi that uh I don't know, will we like it as much? Maybe more, maybe less. I don't know. Let's find out. In today's feature, we're going to review a novel that came out in 1998, written by Peter David, and it's Star Trek The Next Generation Triangle... Imzadi 2. Imzadi 2. We did Imzadi about a month ago, and we did that with Amy Nelson. So it's only appropriate to bring her back to the show. Amy, how are you doing?
2: Hello. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. And again, honored and love Imzadi. So had to come back for Imzadi too. Thank you so much.
0: Now, this isn't the first time you've read this book. Is that correct?
2: Right. Yeah. I had read both of them way long time ago, as I mentioned last time around, I'm going to say 2000, 2001.
0: Okay. I think I read this one, Imzadi 2, probably when it came out around that time. Uh, I don't think I've read it since then until this week to prepare for the show. And Dan, this is your first time reading it.
1: This is my absolute first time reading it. I've never read this before. Uh, I'd read Imzadi a few times, but I've never read the sequel, so this is all brand new to me.
0: So I'm curious if you read Imzadi a few times, why did
1: you never venture to read Imzadi 2? I think honestly I just didn't own it. <laughs> I I bought Imzadi used at some point way back when and read it and then read it again for my website and then read it again for the podcast here, and I just never had gotten myself a copy of Imzadi 2. So.
2: But you uh, knew it existed, right?
1: I did, yeah. I'd always kind of heard that it wasn't as good as the original and huh. you know that Peter David didn't initially plan it to be necessarily a sequel to the original. So I don't know. I always just thought I'll get to it eventually. And I That's did. That's right,
0: because <laughs> the publisher wanted to call it Imzadi 2, and he wanted to call it Triangle. So they compromised and <laughs> called it Triangle Anxiety 2 and then he was not happy when the cover came out and it said Anxiety 2 really big and Triangle really small. Mhm.
1: I that's the first of a few issues I have with the cover. So the ship on the cover front and center right at the top, the Enterprise E, right? Does right. it ever make an appearance in this novel?
2: Nobody's spoken about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They mentioned that, oh, they're going to have another enterprise and it'll be ready in about a year, but Mm -hmm. we never see it. So, and then the uniforms aren't, you know, what they would be wearing at this time, or maybe they would just be starting wearing them at this time. But I don't know. I was just like, hmm. I have a few other issues with the cover as well.
0: (laughs) Okay, so let's play off of that because that goes into our first topic, which is the very start of this book, because Worf has just lost Jadzia Dax, his wife. She had just passed away. So most of this book, he's reflecting back on the time that he left the like shortly before he would have left the enterprise so the cover reflects during the time of the enterprise e and those uniforms but the book does start off at that time frame even though Mm -hmm. we never see Riker and troy in that time frame or the enterprise e Mm -hmm. but i thought it was interesting because Worf is mourning the loss of his wife Zia dax no he's not there what? No. He, well, he's, he's uh, reflecting on the loss of her too, but he also just lost Dax. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: So, but okay. I didn't see Dax's name show up once. I didn't. And so I was questioning. I'm like, hasn't, because it starts off with the generations, right? At the end of generations,
1: well, that's when the when the flashback starts, it goes back to the generations. But before that, he's in their quarters in Deep Space Nine looking at a picture of him and Jadzia and mourning the fact that she had just died.
0: Maybe you missed that first. It's like the first three pages that the, it starts off by saying this is the first line in the mm-hmm. book. After the scream, he had more or less been numb. He had held the body of his beloved Jad, Jadzia Dax, his wife, in his arms, and he had howled the Klingon death scream.
2: Okay, I okay. Then the whole time I was reading this, because yes, I did miss that, and now I feel a little stupid. So th- thank you. Um, no but that's really the only time that they mention it. All I kept hearing was Kalar, Kalar. Well, I guess Hmm. because it was Alexander's mother that they kept referencing. And so the whole time I'm reading this, I'm like, why? Okay, that's it's now jumbling and making a little more sense because I thought that Worf had found his love of Jadzia, but it's so weird that he's going back to Deanna.
0: Yes. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about that I thought was weird because he just lost jadzia and he's reflecting on the loss of both of his wives but yet then he starts thinking about deanna troy yeah and then all of a sudden we go to this flashback to the time of viridian 3 from star trek generations and the rest of the novel is about his relationship with deanna troy
2: at that time
0: yeah at that time so the setup Is just, you know, him looking back at that time. And I thought, what an odd time when you lost your wife to be reflecting on someone that you almost married.
2: Yes, Mm -hmm. that is very odd. And I'm telling you, this book is full of twists and turns. And that is just one of them that I missed. And is it adds to just again how this book twists and turns it's got more twists and turns than discovery you've got to really pay attention to what's going on in this book
1: yeah i didn't i didn't mind it so much i i kind of liked that you know when it was written we have all this information on wharf and his backstory and stuff i i thought of it just as kind of like okay he's got to find some way to get into this story Uh, It's a little odd that he sets it after Jadzia's death, and that's why he's reflecting. But at the same time, you know, I kind of forgave it because I was like, ah, they've just got to get into the story somehow. So, yeah, I I don't know. It it struck me as a little weird to start with, but then, you know, once the story gets going, I really kind of got into it.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, just the way the story starts off, he's, Thinking about the ones that he's lost. I mean, he's been through a lot. He's lost his parents. He's lost his two wives. I mean, it's just like, you know, even he's lost his brother in a sense. Uh, So, I mean, he's just always losing people in his life. And maybe even though this novel is him reflecting on Deanna, Deanna, It doesn't mean that he wasn't reflecting on the others. It's just the book focuses then on the flashback of him thinking about Deanna. And I will give an excuse to that setup because, and I'm not going to spoil anything now, but the way the book ended to me makes up for how the book started, which I'll save that for the end. Mm -hmm. A reason for everyone to stick around and find out what I'm going to say about that.
1: We're like one of those cheap shows that, you know, every time they break for commercial and coming up after the break, yeah. the shocking moment that you won't believe you will not want to miss this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is a reality show, isn't it? It's like Big Brother. Exactly. We all live in a house together. All the Trek FM people, we're all in the same house.
2: Wouldn't that be so And awesome. crashing
0: on the couch, of course. <laughs> of course. And after the show, we're going to go to the hot tub. <laughs> So would you say Worf is cursed? Because he keeps losing loved ones (laughs) in his life. I feel
1: bad for this guy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. it's uh, You know, Star Trek is the story of Worf. And you have to have good drama by putting obstacles in the path of your hero and... You know, all of Star Trek, this is my theory. All of Star Trek is about Worf. He's the character that has the most screen time. He's in the most episodes of TV shows. He's in the most films. And, you know, all of the original series and Discovery, all of this is just preamble to set the stage for the appearance of Worf in the next generation. And, yeah, you you know, you just got to have obstacles for your heroes. It makes life interesting.
0: So (laughs) Enterprise, Discovery, the
1: original series, those are all prequels to Worf. Yep, they're just they're just setting the stage, you know, uh set creating the setting for Worf to finally make his grand entrance. And uh yeah, that's uh yeah.
2: <laughs> well it seems that Worf is cursed to be alone. I mean, Ooh, with yes. all of this loss. Um but I don't know if I feel bad for him because I feel that he brings it almost on himself by his over concern of the Klingon way and his honor. And, you know, and so I feel like he's got that as his companion. And then the women and the family is secondary. That
1: certainly, yeah, does end up being the case in this story with uh, with Jadzia, or excuse me, I'm sorry, with Deanna for sure. See, the book's got me confused here. <laughs> You're <laughs> right, Bruce. Um, yeah, that that's that's a constant thing with Worf that he, his code of honor and his sense of duty always comes before, in this case, Deanna and uh, his love and concern for her. So that's interesting. Yeah.
2: Well, I think it was really brought out when, with his experiences with Lwaxana.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And before we get uh, further into the book, uh, we don't see a flashback of how Wharf and Deanna got together, but does, does the Wharf Deanna relationship, did that ever work for you on TNG?
1: Over the years, it's, it's worked better on rewatching. I remember at the time being kind of really like, What? But, you know, taken in the context of the series, I think if you look at the seeds of it, which I would argue are back in season five with Alexander and, you know, the kind of shared responsibility that Deanna ends up having as kind of their family counselor um, in helping Worf deal with being a single parent, something that he was not particularly good at. I I think like in, in that sense, when you see that building from there, whether they intended that from that moment or not, it kind of works in that context. I think a lot of people won't agree with me, but I think, okay.
2: so. So I'm so glad you asked because this book definitely brought out some major feelings that I have. And I have been on record on everywhere, social media and on Earl Grey, like I've always loved Troy and Worf together. And I think it makes sense. And yeah, it starts in season five, like you said, Dan, and then, you know, we get parallels, which is mentioned in the book, you know, when Worf is explaining (laughs) when they met to the and stuff. And so all of that's coming to, and then you get all good things going through your brain of, you know, oh yes, Worf and Troy, and I've always loved them together. And then when I started this reading this book, it brought out this emotion of, what? No, this cannot happen. I don't even want to see Deanna with Worf at all. And I was so surprised by that because I've always liked Troy and Worf together. So this book definitely, it like got my defenses up and I was like, nope, she needs to be with Will and that's it. And I was like so close to texting you, Bruce. I'm like, what am I reading? Because I had forgotten reading the book since it had been over 10 years. But I was getting very defensive and I wasn't liking the direction that they that this book was going in.
0: Well, I want to know more about that because, yeah, we're at this point of the triangle where Wharf proposes to Deanna, Troy. They're on the Farragut after the crash of the enterprise E on Viridian three enterprise and, D I'm sorry they're D and then they're in 10 forwards on the Farragut and then Worf proposes to Deanna because he he sees families on Viridian three as they're waiting to be rescued and taken off of the planet and he sees you know families bonding and walking around and he looks you know at his son as Alexander and and, you know, he needs a mother and he basically gets to a point where he realizes it's time to have a family and marry Deanna. And she accepts his proposal in 10 forward at the same time that Riker is sitting at another table talking to Geordi LaForge. And Jordi's basically saying to Riker, why, what have you been waiting for? Like, why don't you just, you know, move forward with Deanna? And Riker's like, you know, you're right. I got to say my feelings. I got to address it. And as soon as he starts standing up. All of a sudden, Worf is announcing, I'm engaged! And they just look at each other. And I love the line where it says, and at that moment, Worf looked at Riker and realized it wasn't going to happen. It was going to end.
1: Yeah, that was... Okay, so yeah, this novel does this thing quite a bit where we see events from one perspective and then the next chapter or the next section jumps back and we see the lead up from someone else's perspective and a couple times it got a little confusing but then you kind of realize oh i see what they're doing here okay um because yeah that scene there for example i thought riker and jerridy were uh talking you know was it after i th- i th- at first thought it was after this proposal and it was like a day later and they're talking about you know i should have you know made my move with Deanna and blah 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 and i was like oh man, why are you talking about that now, now that Worf has proposed? And then that happened where he stood up and the proposal happened and I was like, oh, dang. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I could see it all. I could see like Jordy's face like, oh, (laughs) and Riker just, oh man, it was, it was really well done. And yeah, uh, you
2: could feel the awkwardness in the room. Big yeah, time.
1: <laughs> absolutely. And then Riker is the only thing he can do, of course, yeah. because he's Riker, lifts his glass and says, may I be the first to toast the happy couple? And everyone applauds. And then he says to Jordy, I'm out of here <laughs> and goes to his quarters because yeah. dang. Oh, yeah. that's what a gut punch. That was brutal. Depending on which side of that you fall on, I guess. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And it was so funny in that section because everyone kept congratulating Troy. Nice landing. Hilarious. <laughs> I kept
0: thinking about you, Amy. Every time they would tease Troy about yes. the landing of the ship.
2: <laughs> I know. Not funny. Not funny. Thank you. Thank you.
0: So going back, Amy, to what you were saying, you always supported the deanna Wharf relationship. And now we're at this point in the book where Wharf proposes to her. Was this the the time where you were like, no, 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 no? What was it in the book that changed you in your reactions to this relationship?
2: Yep. It was that moment. And, you know, and part, and, and it happened multiple times because I think the book does a really good job in, you know, I guess, foreshadowing and that this isn't the right relationship. And you're getting that theme. This isn't the right relationship. In multiple characters, right? We get it from when we see Riker and what it does to him. And we get it when, you know, Deanna tells Waxana and we get it when, uh, Worf tells his parents and, uh, his dad is like, "Mm, yeah, that's not right. You know, so we're getting the, the breadcrumbs that this is not a good relationship But yeah, that first one, I was like, no, this cannot happen. And then I was asking myself, but you've always liked Worf and Troy together. Yeah, I would think you
0: would be happy about that scene.
2: I know. And I was like, why am I not enjoying this? And just, you know, thank goodness that we have Insurrection and Nemesis to know that they actually do end up together because otherwise these books are just toying with my emotions here.
0: Do you think your reaction to that proposal would have been different had you not known that Riker and Troy eventually get together?
2: Yeah. Cause I really did like, especially in parallels and all good things. I love that Worf and Troy were together and that they were branching out. And I was like, yes, finally Deanna is letting go of will and, you know, experimenting with other people and, you know, saying that's not going to work. We've decided we're friends. Like that's really where they were. And so I think had I read the book before, you know, like when it had come out or, you know, before insurrection and nemesis, then I might be okay with it. But the book does so good at cluing you in that this is not a good relationship.
1: Yeah. It almost feels like a little bit in some cases, two in your face, mm-hmm. showing that it's going to fail. And I mean, we do go into it knowing that it's going to fail, um, although we never really knew why or how. I think that's part of the brilliance of this book is when it's set, which is right in this time period where, uh, you know, we saw them together in all good things. We didn't necessarily see them together or not together in generations. There was really no opportunity to see whether they were or not. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, you know, they decide Deep Space Nine needs better ratings. So Worf's over there now. So that just kind of dissolved that relationship without any kind of on-screen payoff. So I think it's really great that we finally get the story as to how that happened and why that happened. And maybe even when I was going into this, starting it, thinking – maybe we'll learn some more reasons why Worf was off on Boreth and not with his shipmates and maybe was willing to quickly accept the assignment to deep space nine on a permanent basis to not necessarily be back with them on the enterprise E mm-hmm. uh, because this relationship ended.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was I, disappointed I think, that that wasn't how it ended.
1: Yeah, we do get an, and you know, I think minor spoilers for the end. We do kind of get him saying he's going to go off to Borath, um, which is where we find him at the start of Deep Space Nine. But yeah, I was totally expecting a more hard tie-in. Like maybe it would end uh, sometime during, you know, the way of the warrior where Worf basically saying, oh, I hope they offer me a permanent position here. I don't want to go back to the Enterprise. It's awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, something like that.
0: Yeah, I thought the same thing because I thought, well, watching the way the warrior to see him board the station on Deep Space Nine to watch that and go, oh, now I know why he's there. He's trying to avoid Deanna and being back on the Enterprise with Will and Deanna because it would be really awkward and uncomfortable. And then when he does return to the Enterprise later, then, you know, he's over it. He's, you know, moved on. He's married Jadzia. It's okay now.
2: Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And especially going to their wedding. You know, even when I think about the wedding scene and he's, you know, sitting there like he's got a hangover and he's complaining about the music and stuff. I think, gosh, that's got to be awkward. You know, this was your former fiance. But, of course, Mm -hmm. he has since gotten married and everything. But I start to wonder, it's like, is he still still trying to kind of get over it? And that's why he's not all that comfortable
1: at the wedding and kind of grumpy. And
2: That's exactly how I read it. Really? Mm -hmm. Yep, I do.
1: Yeah, I kind of always read a little bit, probably more into some of those Worf scenes than they intended when they filmed them. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of the benefit of being as big Star Trek fans as we are. We get to bring in all that other lore. Uh, I also liked Worf's line in Insurrection where they're kind of reflecting on – The events of them, you know, the metaphysic radiation making them all act younger and stuff. And Worf says something to Riker. Like, Riker says, I wonder if our feelings for each other will disappear once we're away from this planet. And Worf says to Riker, your feelings for Deanna have always been there. This place just let them out for a little while or something. And I I always thought of that as Worf kind of going like, you know, I bow my head to you. That's – you guys always had that. I knew that when we were dating and – you know, you guys are meant to be together kind of thing. And it's like, oh, that's that's nice, big, cuddly Wharf."
2: Yeah. And <laughs> this book really, yeah, adds context to that line that y- you just read.
0: <laughs> I never really felt that Worf and Troy loved each other watching the TV series and then going into the movies. I just always felt like, okay, they're dating. It doesn't mean that they're in love or it's, you know, anything real serious or it's going lead to lead to marriage, maybe, but... I just felt like, you know, they were dating. And then by the time we got to the movies, well, they weren't together anymore. So I well, I guess it didn't work out. So I never really thought about it like the way this book presents it to the point that they even admit that they love each other. And Deanna's like, well, the love for Worf is different than the love she has for Riker. It's just different. Doesn't mean she loves one more or less than the other. It's just a different because it's a different person. And to the point that they decide to get married, I'm actually surprised in a lot of ways about Deanna in this book, because I felt almost as if she's just kind of going along with things. Oh, Worf proposed. Okay. Yeah, I'll marry him. And then we see at one point will, but it's actually Tom Riker show up on beta Z and she's almost willing to kind of go off with him and it just felt like I felt like she was just kind of going along with everybody else and I just would say hey you know stand up for yourself and you make the decisions and you tell everybody how it should be I just wanted a little more backbone and decision making from her but maybe it's because she's confused and doesn't really know Mm -hmm.
2: well okay I definitely got that that both of them Worf and Troy were just, you know, the saying, you love the one you're with. Like, I didn't feel that it was the passion. It wasn't the Imzadi that we know Will and Deanna have. But it's good. And they both could list all the reasons why they loved each other. And they were good reasons. But it seemed like Worf didn't really love her. She didn't really love him. But they were just good together. So why not? You know, I sort of... I can see, actually, in real life, some marriages like that. And that's not a bad thing. If you want to be married, if you want to be a family, then you're just going to love the one you're with and make it work. I
1: mean, yeah, there are so many different kinds of marriages out there. Um, You know, I I don't think Worf and Troy fall into this category, but there's the idea of the companionate marriage where – just two good friends decide to get married and, and you know, spend their old age together, not alone kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I think she puts it really well when she says there's different kinds of love and the love that I had with Will is never going to be the same as any love that I have with any other person. You know, they're, they're going to be different every time. Um, so, yeah, I can buy the relationship and I can buy the reasons for it. Um, But going back to what you said, Bruce, as well, I I really do wish we got a lot more in this book from Deanna's perspective. We get a lot from Worf's perspective, a lot from Riker's perspective. And they do say, or or Riker does say in his internal monologue, like, I'll just put it all out there and whatever Deanna decides, I'll go with. So, you know, there's some agency there that Deanna has. But it really does feel like a story of two people fighting over a woman uh, and... She's gonna go with one or the other, um, and I just wish that there, they they did a little bit of work to give her some agency. But I just wish there was more of that there, so we could really get into Deanna's head and find out what does she really want. You know, we get hints of that, but never really totally from her her perspective.
2: Which is why I think the name of the book Triangle. It's not Deanna is this like the object, and I don't mean that and don't send me hate mail, but the triangle is Worf, Will, and Tom Hmm. because the book is told from their perspectives. It's not, you're right, it's not told from Deanna's perspective. It's what are Tom's feelings towards Deanna? What are Worf's feelings? What are Will's feelings towards Deanna? I think the book definitely goes into those characters and those point of views perspectives way more than we see Deanna's. So I think when I saw triangle, yeah, I thought, Oh, Worf, Deanna and Troy, or sorry, (laughs) Worf, Deanna and Will. But as I was reading, I'm like, no, that is not the triangle in my opinion. I think it really is Worf, Will and Tom that that's the triangle. And it's from their perspective that they, their feelings towards Deanna.
0: That's a really interesting point. And I hadn't thought about that, but I, I think you're right in a lot of ways because it really does involve those three: Tom, Will, and Worf. And we haven't really talked about Tom that much in here, but you know he was on a in a Cardassian prison camp. And long story short, and we're getting into spoilers, so if anybody doesn't want to hear any more, we're we're going to get deeper into this stuff. But you know he gets out of the camp, and he's pretending he's Will which he's very good at doing because he is Will in a sense. But I, one thing I'm a little disappointed with his storyline is I felt like he was always about deceiving people and and working with Sela and trying to get his way on things and not being upset at his counterpart for not pursuing Deanna and allowing that relationship to happen with Worf. Because I think Tom just kind of wrote it off as like, okay, I'm out of Deanna's life. And when he comes back and finds out that Will isn't with Deanna and Worf is, I would think Tom would be like, well, screw you, Will. You know, you had your chance and now Worf took her away. I'm going to try to get her. It's almost like I wish he would have brought up more of a fight to get Deanna than he did, too.
2: Hmm. I'm surprised you don't feel he did because I felt he did.
0: I just didn't feel like he was that committed to it. I just felt like he was always just trying to work different angles on different things and, and play Sela and the Romulans and the Klingons. And I, I don't know. I don't
1: know what Tom was doing. Tom confuses me. Yeah. His motivations, I think were kind of all over the place. I, I, I kind of felt this book a bit for lapsing too much into, and, and they even call it out at one point, the evil twin thing where, you know, Tom Riker was never, a bad guy who's, you know, I'm going to get into bed with Sila, literally and figuratively, apparently. Um, you know, he was – he wanted to differentiate himself from Will. He saw himself as the hero and joined the Maquis for that. But I I never saw him as, you know, someone who is okay with poisoning the, the Chancellor or, you know, all this kind of stuff. Even though he ended up – anyway, that whole thing is really – all over the place but yeah i, I didn't li- i i liked them bringing in tom because i think he's an important part of the whole will deanna story but it just seemed like a really weird use of his character here
2: it was funny because i was talking to justin about it and and when i brought up tom Riker, and he's like oh i forgot he was in the book i'm like how do forget he was in the book. It was so much about Tom Riker. And I don't know, I guess I totally bought the whole story that, you know, we, we really get Tom's perspective of how he feels that the world is against him and that he can't be himself because Will exists, you know, and to me, and people know I love Nemesis, and so I was like, the voice and the echo, the shadow, it, you know, it just all brought back those feelings that I love of Nemesis, you know, of here we really have this Tom Riker who can't be himself. And I think that he definitely still loves Diana, but he's been conditioned by his circumstance, that he has to really take care of himself and no one else is going to because everyone loves Will. And the point that really got to me was when he went down pretending to be Will and tried to get Deanna, you know, that whole scene. Deanna didn't know it was Tom because his emotions were so real and so, I want things to work. I'm I've, you know, I'm come to stop this wedding and you know, and she, she was, she was like, well, I do owe it to you. You are my Mzadi. We have such a history, you know, where are things going to go before I make this major life decision with Worf. And I think she was again, foreshadowing that it's like, she wasn't in all the way with Worf. It was just love the one you're with type of attitude. So I think Tom definitely still loves Deanna and would have done anything for her.
0: No, I can see that for sure. Yeah. I guess I was just wishing he would just be a little more upset at his counterpart. Will for not pursuing Deanna. I mean, he kind of did because he mentioned about Admiral Riker from Imzadi coming back and Riker didn't do anything about it then, but then wait, how did Tom know about that? No,
2: that was Will. Will was reflecting on Admiral Riker coming. See,
0: that's where it gets confusing, Mm -hmm. and I think it's funny too because I, I, I think Peter David did a good job as you're reading it to show you, even though Tom is pretending to be Will, he's still Tom. Like so, the characters refer to him as Will but peter is very good at mentioning and then tom thought you know because just like mm-hmm. yeah this is still tom this is not will and there were two different times that tom set things up where will was mistaken to be tom and will kept getting in situations where he was either like arrested or thrown in jail or whatever, <laughs> into this prison camp and such. And I thought, boy, oh, that Tom was... really kind of has an edge over Will.
2: Yeah, yeah. That whole, that's why I'm like these twists and these turns and, you know, and then when Will sees Tom, but Tom is pretending to be Will in front of Sila, you know, and it's like, don't say anything, don't say anything, just go with the flow. And he does, you know, and then when Deanna sees both of them and it's like, don't say anything, don't say anything. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it just, the twists and the turns have just had you on the edge of your seat, I, seriously.
0: Yeah, because yeah. there's one part where Sealith thinks Tom is Will, but then Tom and Will switch places, and then she
1: goes to Will, who is now Will. So, yeah. <laughs> But he's Will pretending to be Tom pretending to be Will.
2: Right. I know, exactly. (laughs) Which? You need a diagram to chart this whole thing out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it got a little crazy. This is is something that I think with this book can be really hit or miss. And that's Peter David's uh, sense of humor. There's so much in this book that I think is hilarious. And there's just so much that I think, just misses a little bit so like for example uh we talked a little bit about it but warf talking about how the episode parallels led him to consider the uh, relationship with diane and he's telling his father um nikolai roshenko you know it's like warf how did you get together he's like well, I was returning from a Batleth competition in the shuttlecraft Curie and I encountered a quantum fissure, which caused me to cross over into various parallel realities. In one of them, I was married to Deanna, and he goes through the whole thing about how, you know, sending out this warp pulse seals everything, and uh, then he got <laughs> back, and he's like, I had, you know, I considered the not, how did he put it, the, the not unpleasant possibility of a relationship with Deanna, and his father says, that's amazing. That's exactly how it happened between you and your, mu- me and your mother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, oh my God. That is funny. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so much of that. And then like with these mistaken identities at the end, it gets so crazy. And that's so Peter David where everything just goes off the rails in the third act. Things that I think don't work. For example, there is he has this tendency to use his characters like they're comic book characters and do, have, has them do things that seem out of character just because it's funny in the moment. And the one where I just kind of had to look away and roll my eyes was when Deanna turns around and, and shoots a bunch of Romulans. And they they look at her and she raises it to her mouth and whoop, pretends to bro, blow the smoke off the barrel. of, And I'm just like, okay, come on. You know, <laughs> can you picture Deanna doing that? Like that stuff no. just brings me right out of the book. So.
2: Uh-huh.
1: But, but for the most part, I love the humor in this.
0: So, what did you think about the storyline with Sela? Uh, and of course, those who are listening, you know, Sela is Tasha daughter, which is a whole other story from yesterday's Enterprise, where Tasha is transported back into a timeline where she's fighting Klingons and Romulans, and she ends up with the Romulans and has Sela as a baby. And Sila is now a bad ass Romulan. <laughs> I don't even know if I need to explain it to anybody who's listening to this show. They probably all know this stuff.
1: I, yeah, I would think so. Um, yeah. And I, I I titled this part another in Sila's series of bungles because, man, this woman and her convoluted crazy plans, you know, she... They they even recount them in this novel where she, you know, reprogrammed Geordie to assassinate a Klingon governor and that didn't work. And she was behind the Klingon civil war and giving arms to the Duras family and that ended up being thwarted. And then, you know, she filled a bunch of Bul- Vulcan ships with Romulan troops to invade Vulcan and that didn't work. You know, no wonder she's out of favor with the Romulan Empire and she's got this other crazy plan now where she's using uh, Tom Riker, who she thinks is Will Riker, but then we actually find out at the end of the novel, she knows more than she's letting on and she knows that it's Tom Riker, you know, to get Worf to do a thing that ends up falling through. So she sends Tom Riker, actually sends Will Riker, but it's actually Tom Riker <laughs> pretending to be Will Riker to the Klingon world, home world with a bottle of um, Romulan ale for Gowron That she tells him is a poison, uh, that Garon's going to poison himself, but it's actually a virus that's going to wipe out the Klingon population. And it's just, it's crazy. And you know, it's just, man, she really knows how to mess up a plan. I like how they make fun of how crazy a plan is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a big Sela fan. I've never really gotten into that character. You haven't either? No, I, and I don't know why, like on paper, it's a neat idea, you know, but I've just, uh, it's never been a big like, oh my God, when she shows up, because uh, I don't, uh. yeah, I like I don't, Denise Crosby, I love Tasha Yar, but I just never got behind Sela,
0: Yeah, I don't hmm. know if it's, I, I, I agree with you, I like Denise Crosby at Tasha Yar, maybe it just didn't work for me, Denise Crosby playing Sela, just, uh, hmm. I don't know, it hmm. just never really worked all that well for me but i didn't really feel like it was really clear if sila really had a plan because i felt as if she was just wanting to do something but still was like just figuring it out as she was going along like i didn't feel like the ultimate plan was to get to galron like Hmm. she even captures troy and there was a moment where someone i can't remember maybe it was tom asking you know well wh- what are you going to do with troy and she's like i don't you know I'm, I'm still figuring that out or she said that maybe when it was about warf i just remember she was like i was like okay so what is the plan where where are you trying to get to it wasn't till later in the book that we find out okay here's the plan but i didn't really believe that she had one all along mm-hmm.
2: mm, okay first i i'm okay with sila but i loved her in the book I really, I was like, this to me, it just was typical Sila. And I love that the book references all of her, you know, failed attempts and, you know, like I said, series of bungles uh that, you know, happened in the in Next Gen. So I thought it was just very typical Sila, and I thought that you know, it just was exactly her character. What I I don't really agree with you on that, Bruce, is that she had a plan, but then things changed. And I, I saw her as being flexible. And so it's like, all right, so now I know that there's Tom and Will, so that's going to change things. So we're going to do things this way to accomplish my goal. Like she, the goal was to sort of, you know, break up the Federation and Klingon. And, you know, she just didn't like the Klingon. So I think we didn't know the plan from the beginning. And then when things changed, she was willing to be flexible and make it still work in her best interest, which I thought is totally a Sila thing to do.
1: The one aspect of this whole thing that I did end up liking was the fact that just about everyone involved ended up knowing more than we thought they did because there were so many times in this book that I was like, couldn't Sila figure out, you know, this isn't Will Riker, you know, by, you know, looking up some records or something. And we find out by the end, Oh, that's exactly what she did. And she knew all of this going in and was just kind of playing her cards close to her chest. And I think my favorite aspect of this whole story was when Tom Riker is on uh, the Klingon homeworld and, you know, trying to implement his plan, he runs into Picard, who's there to speak to the High Council. Uh And, you know, Picard's like, oh, Will, good to see you, and blah, blah, blah. And there's all these little things. I didn't expect
2: to see you. Neither did I.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, there's all these things. There's the copy of A Christmas Carol, which just fits in so thematically perfectly with everything. And then we find out at the end, Picard knew that that was Tom Riker. He'd been warned and was trying to kind of help him redeem himself a little bit, but you know, that didn't work. And the one thing that I thought was crazy and, and I can't believe, I, I don't want to say I figured it out, but I suspected when Riker heard some like water running or something in his quarters on the Klingon homeworld, home world, I was like, Odo's not there. Is he? no, why would Odo be there? That's ridiculous. And it turns out that Odo is there, and he's taken the form of the bottle that he gives to Gowron, uh and Gowron can't open it and Of course, I just picture Garon tugging on the cork of this bottle, and it's actually odo's head or something <laughs> right? just I think that's hilarious, but that was that was what did you guys think of throwing Odo in there? That seemed really weird, but then. I was like, oh, I guess he knows Luxana. Maybe there's some tie-in there, but they never really tied that in at all.
0: Yeah, I think they said something about Luxana just reached
1: out to Odo to to do that. Yeah, there
2: was that whole thing, and she was- Well there was, but
1: I was like waiting for like a reunion or something. Oh, yeah. I wanted the scene between them kind of thing. I would have liked to
0: have seen when Gowron's trying to open the bottle, Odo
1: goes, you know, ow that hurts i bet you knowing peter david's writing that that was at least on the page at some and ended up being taken out or something
0: it just Uh. seemed a little odd that odo just all of a sudden showed up in that scene because Mm -hmm. it was just like he wasn't an integral part of this book and so all of a sudden it's like, oh, the bottle is Odo. Welcome, Odo, to the show, everyone. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, where,
1: where's O'Brien? Audience is he going to, like, pop out <laughs> of a
0: closet, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Special guest star, Rene Auberjonois. You know, if this were a TV show, it would be clued in really early on. But, you know. <laughs> because it's a book, we have no yeah. idea. <laughs> right. And then Giorgio shows up. What
0: is she doing no. here? Yeah. <laughs> Section 31. <laughs> <laughs> and is it the mere one or the prime one? Oh, I'm so confused. Ooh. So one thing I want to go to real quick and just touch some other characters and that would be Alexander. We mentioned briefly about him earlier. Um, I, I think there's a, I, it seems like a lot of fans don't care for Alexander from what I hear. Um, and this is a slightly older Alexander than the little one we saw on the enterprise D in the next generation. Uh, What did you guys think of his character in this book? I mean, I, I, I was picturing him kind of like in the teenage years and I thought he worked well in this because he's kind of that catalyst as to why Worf wants to marry Deanna. And he seems very supportive of that. I mean, he, he very much felt like, you know, Opie supporting Andy marrying Helen in the Andy Griffith show since I'm doing a rewatch of that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I actually liked Alexander in this story. I'm, I don't mind Alexander. I think he, uh, I, I see what they were trying to do with him and, and Worf's character, you know, and, and showing a different side of Worf. I think he works quite well in this story. Uh, the part that I, that floored me that I just hadn't realized, I hadn't questioned before but just makes perfect sense is, you know, he's with Worf on the Enterprise and then Worf shows up on Deep Space Nine. And I think there's a throwaway line that, oh, uh, Alexander's living with my uh, grandparents or my parents on Earth and, you know, I was never much of a father or something like that. And it's like, oh, okay. They didn't want Alexander on the show. They didn't want that aspect. So they they ditched it. In this novel, we get such a good explanation as to why that is. And it's not Worf's decision necessarily it's Alexander so hurt by Worf and his decision that he was going to let Deanna and Alexander die in order to protect his honor uh that makes Alexander just not even want to be in the same room as Worf and I was I was blown away that like I didn't realize I needed this explanation but now that I have it it's so perfect I I really love that aspect of the story Yeah
2: it seems like and I don't hate Alexander in any way. I just feel like he's the same note anytime he's brought up. He's wondering what it's like. He's got, he's confused. What is the warrior way? What is the Klingon way? Does my father love me? You know, and, and not, those are all valid concerns that he should have, It's just, that's the only thing we ever get from Alexander. And so it just felt like the same tune being played. Yeah. Now he's a teenager and I I don't know. I just, I just felt very monotone with Alexander. Yeah.
0: I mean, he was okay. I mean, he worked for me in this book, um, but he wasn't like a standout character. It wasn't right. like I walked away. ooh, I really love Alexander or he's really growing <laughs> on me. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. But uh, I thought it was important that we at least bring him up. I wanted to give a shout out to two quick cameos uh, that Peter David put in here. Jellico and Elizabeth Shelby. Um, of course, they're from TNG, but he uses these characters in his New Frontier book. So we see Jellicoe as an admiral and Shelby, I think she showed up as a captain in this, or was it? She's, she was no, she's still first, first officer. officer. Yeah. 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 She was still of the first officer on the Excalibur. She later becomes a captain. Oops, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool that he kind of worked them into it, So I like that.
2: Yeah, I thought that was great. Bringing Jellicoe back and just the mention of Shelby and... You know, well, you know, and it sort of held it over Will's head. If you take a leave of absence, then you're going to be at the bottom of the rung to, you know, come back into Starfleet, you know, when he wanted to take that leave of absence. And so he's like, oh, okay. And again, that was another fun twist. You know where he set up the holodeck to make it seem like <laughs> Will was still on earth. And I was like, I literally was screaming at my iPad. I'm like, no. And then, you know, he recomm- you know, he's like, Oh, I outsmarted myself. And I'm like, Oh yes, you did. Cause they think Will is on earth and Will's on. Ba- oh yeah. It was a hot mess. Another twist
1: and the friend who set it up's
2: like, "Oh, Will's going to owe me big time for I this." I know, he's thinking he's done so good and now Will's oh, suffering man. in prison. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, and and I think Will's pretty lucky that things turned out the way they did because he did some serious bad stuff. Um yeah. And and again, you know, that's kind of a Peter David Liberty thing. I don't I don't see this character doing that. In reality whatever reality for a fictional television show is but you know i it just there's some liberties taken with the characters sometimes that i think stretch it a little bit and that one was right on the line for me i was like will wouldn't do that
0: yeah there's a lot of things that will doesn't do and this is what i want to talk about coming full circle in a triangle book how do you work that in and geometry there, Amy, you know, circles and triangles and all that. But You okay. just need a line through
1: it, then it's the deathly hollows. Whoop, sorry, wrong franchise. <laughs> my, my bad.
0: <laughs> but you know, Will is just taking his time with Deanna. And this kind of drives me crazy. Because in the first Amzati book, we have the alternate future Admiral Riker coming back and telling his younger self to not allow Deanna to get away. And they decide to just kind of you know, well, keep the relationship, you know, status quo. We'll just kind of be friends and maybe one day when things are right and all that stuff. And now we get to this book and will decides from talking to Jordy, maybe it's time to do something. And then of course, Worf proposes to Deanna. They're in love. They're going to get married. And then we've like, just go through this motions of will not sure if you know, Oh, you know, I've let all this time go by. I haven't, you know, taken command of another starship. Maybe I've been staying on the Enterprise because of Deanna. And he just seems so wishy-washy to me. It's like, do you love her or don't you? Because as much as we find out at certain times that he really is deeply in love with her, why does he just go with the status quo? Why is he just being so comfortable as if she's always just going to be there? Like he's always got her in his hip pocket and she's just there whenever he's ready. And it makes me not really care for him as a character that much because, you know, he's got to just grow some and just do it. Is it just me or do you guys feel the same Definitely not.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And it's and I I guess maybe that's what these books are capitalizing on. Just this what could be idea Um, and reading this book, like it really got to me because I was like, you know, in my relationships, have you ever doubled back and dated someone that you broke up with before. Like, I don't do that. I did that once and it didn't work again. Surprise. I mean like, duh, like it didn't work the first time. It's not going to work again. Like there are issues that you are not together for these reasons. And so to double I, I, back,
0: I dated a girl we broke up every month and always got back together <laughs> <laughs> for a while. Really? Yes. That's a whole nother story. We'll talk offline.
2: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's get some counseling going on there. Um, But I, so it's difficult for me to relate because I don't do this. And these books are continually what could have been, what should be, you know, and for me in my life, that doesn't work. So these books are purely, you know, fantasy, just, you know, completely because I would not do that. And, and you're right. I, I agree with you. Troy really needs to make a decision because that's what I would do. And Riker really needs to make a decision, but I do like the explanation of why, and we know why he doesn't, you know, become a captain and in part because of it's this relationship with Troy you know, that keeps him there, that he doesn't want it to move on this status quo. And and it it even addresses it in the book. It's like, oh, what was the word that he was disgusted with? Complacency. Yeah. And he was like, complacency. I would never have that. Like I was, you know, this officer moving up and why am I complacent now? And I'm complacent because you're here and I don't want to lose you, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Like that, That part of it annoys me. So, yes, I agree with you, Bruce.
1: Riker drives me absolutely nuts. And it's not even his fault. It's not even the character's fault. It's the fault of the writers of the show because they had this in their back pocket the whole time. You know, will they, won't they? Uh, But, you know, it's, it's the whole them not taking the plunge on the show. And it really seems, and even though Riker would swear up and down, it's not the case. It seems like oh, I've got this, you know, backup here that I can sweep off her feet at any time. Oh, no, Worf's come in and taken her away from me. Now I realize the depth of depths of my feelings for her. So now I've got to put it all on the line and go and get her. And it's like, okay, that's, that's all well and good. We'll believe you when you say you always had these feelings. And, you know, we won't say, oh, it's just because someone came and, and took her away. Then at the end of the book, you know, the threat from Worf is gone. He's decided to leave. He's decided to break off the relationship. He's going to go, you know, spend some time with the clerics at Boreth and get his head straight. And Riker is like, nah, we shouldn't get together. If I were Deanna, I would, you know, and she does, she hurls things at him, but yeah. I would, you know, never talk to him again because this is absolutely ridiculous. Yes. And, It is really, it's again, just a, you know, because of where in the timeline this book falls, I understand that the author can't get them together, but I'm just not buying it at this point. Like, it's so ridiculous that, you know, he obviously has feelings for her. She's willing to go along with them, I guess, because we don't really get a good enough look in her head to know what she actually really wants. But, you know, he just doesn't go through with it and he's like, Oh, you're a raw nerve. You're fresh from a breakup. Uh, I don't want to put that pressure on you. Like I would be so mad if I was Troy, you know, there, there would be no way we'd ever get together after that point. Like that's, that's nuts.
0: Oh, I agree. And then like you said, she's even throwing things at him. I was like, why would she even want to have anything to do with him anymore in a relationship? You know, I've, I've been in past relationships and I've known others be in relationships where there's two people that don't seem to come together for a while where one's interested and well, the other one's not. And then when that one is interested, the other one's not because maybe that person's seeing somebody else. And they always seem to just keep missing each other. And the timing has to be right. I almost wish that this book would have ended with, you know, Riker is like you said, Dan, I'm in love with you. I realize it. I need to have you now. And then all of a sudden, Worf is out of the picture. Worf decides that he doesn't have the feelings of love as deep as Riker does and that he realizes that Riker and Troy should be together more so than Worf should be with Troy. So Worf leaves Troy. At this point, I think Riker should have said to Troy, now I want to be with you. I want to pursue this relationship. I've been waiting too long. And I wish it would have been Troy to say, no, I just got a relationship with Worf. I just lost my fiance. I need time to adjust to that. And then maybe we can go to it later. As opposed to Riker being the one, like you're saying, Dan, he's pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. Now he has her and then he backs up. I would have rather him continue pursue
1: and she puts the brakes on. That would have been more realistic to me.
2: Absolutely. Yep.
1: Yeah. And it would have given her that agency that I feel like she's really lacking in this book, or at least a little bit of it back for sure. I never thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Which goes back to the point that it's, we don't get this from Deanna's perspective because otherwise I think she would have done that. Yeah.
0: I think this would have been a more solid book had we had her perspective. Mm -hmm. So let's just quickly talk about some other random stuff in chapter 16. It says that the head of Worf's house is a she. Gowron mentions a she and I wasn't sure who that was. And obviously, Dan, since you put this in here, you don't know. I don't know, Amy, who is the head of Worf's house?
2: I know, right? I I noticed that too. And, you know, because Gowan's like, I can be a better friend than an enemy, you know, and give you my permission to marry Deanna because you're head of the house. She won't accept this. And I'm like, who? Yeah. son of Moog. I didn't know what this was referring to.
1: Yeah, this was, and, and this was literally the first note I put in the document here. And that was just because as I was reading it, I was like, what the heck is this? So I, I wrote it in there just to kind of remind myself. And I, I couldn't figure that out. The only thing I could think of is it it reminded me of uh, Sorella of the House of Martok, not wanting to give permission to Worf to marry Jadzia. But like at this point in the timeline, Worf hasn't even met Martok yet. Like he doesn't, that, so he's not part of the House of Martok. So I have no idea what this was about, and like who could this mysterious woman head of Worf's house be?
0: Yeah, because in chapter sixteen, this is on page two seventy six. It says, "This is Galron speaking." He says, "I suspect the head of your house will not approve it either." If she does not approve it, there will be no wedding, as you well know. Worf bristles at the thought, she would not refuse me. And then Garon says, You, she would quickly, easily refuse. Me, however, she would not refuse. So, yeah, who is the she? <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was hoping one of us would have the answer and I haven't had time to like figure it out, but anybody who's listening, you know, post it in the Babel conference uh, and let us know or send us an email uh, through Trek FM's website. And uh, maybe we can figure this out with you guys.
1: Yeah. Cause I have no idea <laughs> and it's, you know, not to toot my own horn, but it's pretty rare that there's like a reference to a Star Trek thing that I'm like, I have just no idea what this is like. I don't, are we missing anything really obvious? I don't think so.
2: Well, and there's not a lot of female Klingons to be referencing too. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's why I wasn't sure who put the note in here. I thought, well, maybe it was Amy because Dan seems to know everything.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Could it be Kalar's house? I don't know. No, because her mother was human. So no. Mm, yeah, that's right. So no, not that.
1: Hmm. I don't know. I am at a loss. <laughs> I know. Okay, I,
2: listeners, come through for us.
0: I keep looking in memory beta thinking I'll find some because I don't know if it's from a novel
1: or something. That could be some some Peter David novel maybe. I don't know. He does like to reference his other novels. Yes. Hence why there's some new frontier happening in this book <laughs> on the edges. <laughs> All
0: right. So overall, let's go ahead and give our final thoughts. So Amy, since you're our guest, I'm going to throw it to you first. So where do you land on Mzadi 2?
2: Okay. Well, the book was interesting, very confusing. Like I mentioned before, just a lot of twists and turns. I like the triangle of the three guys. And I still think that that's what the triangle is. Um, and I like because <laughs> at the time of this recording, we just got done with the discovery and everyone was complaining that there were three plots. OK, I don't even know how many storylines are going through this book. I mean, there was just so many and to try and keep up with the Klingons and the Romulans and, you know, Worf and Tom and Will and Picard and Jellico and the crash and everything like, and everyone, it just was, it really kept you going. You really have to be alert to try and keep up. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe I was dense with it, but it was so interesting. And all of these twists and turns just kept you guessing. But then the payoff, like you said, just wasn't there. Everything goes back to normal. Will is a wuss and they're not together and there wasn't really any great love story like there was in In Zadi, the first book, like that was a great love story. And this one, I just, the payoff wasn't there for me. I loved the twists and the turns and the plots, but in the end, what really happened? What was the progression? Did we learn anything more about the characters? Eh, maybe more about Tom, that he's more sleazy and wanting to take care of himself more than, but everyone else sort of, you know it again. And maybe it's just because it's a victim of where it was written, you know, in this whole story that is called TNG. So, um, I did like it, but I did like the payoff in the first book better.
0: So what would you rate it on a scale?
2: Well, I think I did, uh, For the first Imzadi, I don't know, five out of five? I can't remember. It was very high. But this one is going to be less. I'm going to actually say three Thomas Rikers out of five. (laughs) That's a lot
0: of Thomas Rikers.
2: (laughs) I
0: didn't know there were five and you can narrow the Thomas Rikers down to three of them.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, transporter accidents happen all the time.
1: They do a lot for sure. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I I have a lot of similar thoughts to Amy. There seems to be kind of this missing big epic love story uh, that we got in Imzadi. That's definitely missing from here. I totally agree with that. I, I also you know, just the little things that chip away at it for me are the, you know, parts where the characters are acting out of character. Um, For the most part, I actually think Worf was written very well in this novel, which I really appreciated. But again, just, you know, little bits where all the characters are acting out of character. I mostly like uh, Peter David's humor in this novel. But again, there are just a few times where it just you know chips away at it for me because it brings me out of the story where it just goes a little bit over the top. And then yeah, just some of the craziness of the of the story which usually works with Peter David, I feel falls a little flat in this novel. It's kind of not at his usual level. So with all of that said, you know, parts of it that I love, parts of it that I didn't like so much. I'm gonna have to have a rating very similar to Amy's. It's three mixed up Riker identities. So what it is, is it's Thomas Riker pretending to be Will Riker, but he's actually a hologram fooling Jellico. So it's it's three. <laughs> Riker identities all mixed up there.
0: Love it. Oh my gosh, I hadn't thought about it. We had more than two Rikers. <laughs> we, <had a> holographic <laughs> we really <marker>. did. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I think that's a record for a Star Trek novel. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I would say I'm pretty much on the same page as you guys. So, I mentioned at the beginning of the show about how the novel started with Worf uh, reflecting back on Deanna after he just lost Jadzia as his wife uh, at her death. But I feel like it redeemed itself at the end because then Worf in the flash forward back to the time on DS nine realizes that he never really was in love with Deanna as much as he was with Dax, that Dax was his true Imzadi. So I liked how that ended. So that redeemed that first part for me, for why he was reflecting back on Deanna at that time. But uh, yeah, overall, I know that Peter David didn't want to call it Imzadi 2. I understand that. But at the same time, it kind of works because it is a follow-up to Imzadi 2. But as you said, Amy, it's not really the love story like we got in Imzadi. So going into this, it's like, don't expect it to be a love story. It really is. And Dan will like this part. It really is more the story of Worf. Than any other <laughs> character it's Worf dealing with Deanna and really with you know Alexander and where his place is at that time and we really don't get much of a new development between Will and Deanna it's all put back in the box of them just oh yeah they love each other but just not right now the timing's not right so but I enjoyed it it was a, it was a fun read not as much as Mzadi, but that's fine I really did like it so I would say I would give this four bottles out of a six pack of bottles of Odo. Nice. Nice. <laughs> but don't twist the head off because he'll go, ow. No. <laughs> so Amy, if anybody wants to find you online because they think that maybe you are their Mzadi, where can they find
2: you? Oh, <laughs> well, you can find me here on the network where I talk Earl, why? Well, I- I'm on Earl Grey talking next generation with uh, Justin and Richard. I'm also doing The Edge with Patrick Devlin, and that is about Star Trek Discovery. And I also collect your fan response uh, after you watch Discovery uh, on postcards from The Edge. I'm also on the Fandom Podcast Network doing Discoville, and we talk about the Orville and Discovery Dan, Bruce, are you either of you watching the Orville?
1: Yes. I'm behind maybe just a couple episodes, but yeah. I bought the DVDs and I'm actually getting caught up on season one because I stopped about a quarter of the way in last year. So I'm getting caught up now. I've finally watched a couple episodes recently that I hadn't seen yet. So I'm I'm getting into the stuff, the new to me stuff anyway.
2: Nice. Very good. Uh, I am also on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is right there in the Babel Conference. So that's where you can reach me.
0: All right. Well, thank you for joining us again. If there was an Mzadi 3, we would have you on.
2: And I would <laughs> have read it. That's for sure. <laughs> thank you so much, you guys, for the invitation and getting me to read another book. And it's just so much fun talking to you guys. I love it. We love having you.
1: Oh, we absolutely do. Thanks a lot. Well, confusion aside, I think that was a fun book. Uh, you know, how many Rikers do we have running around right now? Holograms and otherwise. I'm not even sure at this point, but one thing's for sure. I really do like having Amy on to talk about books. We're going to have to figure out when we're going to have her on again.
0: Yeah. Uh, we have plenty of books to cover, so I'm sure there's something in there that she's going to want to do.
1: If It's going to have to be TNG.
0: You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. when she really lights up. It's like, Ooh, TNG, but you know what? I almost want to challenge her to read something like, you know, maybe enterprise
1: or voyage or something that's not TNG just to see mm-hmm. how she reacts to that. Yeah, that could be really interesting for sure. Uh, you know, we're all about, uh, expanding our minds and moving outside of our comfort zones on this show. So yeah, that would be really cool. Maybe she'd be up for that. Well, it's been fun talking about Amy
0: reading something besides TNG, but it's not the only thing we've been discussing here on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, the ready room. And, And again, the Kelvins, they're enjoyable to me, but I'm so thrilled I don't have to hang, you know, whatever the need was
1: for them in 2006. That's been 13 years ago. I mean, talk yeah. about water under the bridge and how much things have changed. The way the world looked, media and Star Trek land looked in 2006 and what the emotion and the vibe and all that was is completely different now. And these movies are a holdover from that. And that's fine. But they, the, our Star Trek world does not depend
0: on them. Earl Grey.
1: It's nice that she gets some... Um revenge at the end because they reversed the whole connection to find them right but at the same time that doesn't like the ends do not justify the means literary
0: treks but tilly feels she's failed and i think when you're at that age Failure feels almost um, like it's going to annihilate you because you're still quite fragile. You're, your sense of self is still quite fragile. That if something goes wrong, you think it's the end of the world. And in fact, it's only uh, the, the secret, of course,
1: being a, gr- a grown up is that when things go wrong, you still feel like it's the end of the world, but you kind of pick yourself up a bit more quickly. But Silly <laughs> hasn't had those experiences. It's always been success.
2: The Orb. On top of that, the Ferengi going
1: to the Mirror Universe gives us the opportunity to kind of explore one last time the character of Quark in a way where we are able to see how he's grown.
0: And that's what else is happening on Trek.FM. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star
1: Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and written review if you have the time. We'd love to hear from you. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, YouTube, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron
0: of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM to get all the details. Hey, there are perks, and they include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at Patreon.com slash Trek
1: FM. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place, of course, is to join in the larger conversation on the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B A B E L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select literary treks. That'll come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Find us on our Goodreads group where we have
0: bookshelves with all of our previously covered books as well as the currently reading section so you know what is coming up for future shows, plus great conversations happening about the books and comics. Just search for Literary Treks on Goodreads and click Join Group. And we'd like to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rozier, Brandon shea Matala, Justin Ozer, and Jeffrey Harlan for their support of the Trek FM network and being associate producers for literary treks as well. So, Dan... When you're not throwing things at Riker because he can't
1: seem to make a commitment to you, where can people find you? Well, when I'm not doing that, you can find me practicing my throwing arm. Uh, but also, when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats, that's Kertrats, that's K E R T R A T S. You can also find me on youtube.com slash Kurtratz Productions, where I make videos all about Star Trek, mostly Discovery these days. And you can also find me on facebook.com slash Productions and on my website where I review Star Trek novels at treklet.com. Now, Bruce, when you're not trying to appeal to the sensibilities of a suspected traitor by flashing the copy of A Christmas Carol you have, Adam, where can we find you? By the way, I meant to mention here on the show that I love
0: the Christmas Carol reference because Patrick Stewart does the one-man show of A Christmas Carol. I had the same thought. That was really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can find me trying to run away from ghosts on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me here on the network doing Live from the Edge with Brandy Jackala, where we talk about Star Trek Discovery the night after it an episode premieres. So we're on YouTube and we do that live and people join the chat room just like Dan does. And Dan has also been a guest co-host on that show. So check that out. And it's later released as a podcast. And you can find me talking about star Wars on the star Wars report podcast. And of course I'm always in the Babel conference. So until next time live long and read on.
1: You call that light reading to each his own number one. Thank you.